everybody welcome to a, another live feed I'm actually doing a video that I'm recording and will put on the YouTube channel uh, it brings me some uh, it brings me mixed emotions um, that I will be changing the channel from advocates for direct democracy over to the storm is coming um, in some ways I'm a little sad uh, by it because I'm so, will always be an advocate for direct democracy but at the same time, uh, I'm really excited about changing the name to uh, having a name that really resonates with a lot of people nowadays, especially with all the um, all the stuff happening uh, due to the uh, pandemic. <clears throat> so uh, I want to bring this video to you today. I wanted to talk about how things um, will never return to normal after this is all said and done, whether it's... Uh, whether it's a good thing or it's a bad thing, um, that is still yet to be seen. Uh, I feel that it could be a good thing, uh, uh, only if the people directed it, direct it that way or, or move it in that direction. Um, but again, if we leave this, um, if we leave all the decision making in, into the hands of 535 uh, or a very few people, um, then we're going to get uh, more, but worse. So um, I'm going to read a couple of articles for you. And these articles essentially are about uh, how things will never return to normal again. We'll start off with the Atlantic. And this is just a, a paragraph from the Atlantic. And uh, the uh, options are limited. Early inaction left the U.S. with too many new cases and just one re recourse. Press a societal pause button to buy enough time for beleaguered hospitals to steal themselves for a sharp influx in patients. This physical distancing strategy is working, but at such an economic cost that it can't be sustained indefinitely. When restrictions relax, as they are set to do on April 30th, the coronavirus will likely surge back as it is now doing in Singapore, China, and other Asian states that had briefly restrained it. So yeah, there's a lot of articles and talks about how the coronavirus will return. And if the second wave is just as bad as the first, then this um, lockdown is going to probably last I would say maybe a year. Now, of course, it's it mentioned here, uh, you know, uh, social distancing or physical distancing comes at a economic cost. Now, um, you know, if you go to factories, if you go to uh, restaurants, if you go to, you know, you know, fitness places, gyms and stuff like that, you know, the more people you have in your establishment, the more money you make. Um, those institutions are, are suffering right now and to be quite to be to be quite frank they'll never ever return um, to the way it was before again because of the fear that has been instilled because of this virus now we can get into the virus but I, I won't do that I'm just going to talk to you about how things will never return to normalcy after this is said and done when that is we, we're not too sure all right, let's move on to the next article. This is out of the Atlantic, uh, sorry, this is out of um, uh, The Guardian. 
we can't go back to normal. How will coronavirus change the world? And I'll just read these three paragraphs right here that I feel that are very important for you to know. So <clears throat> cast your mind back a few weeks and imagine someone telling you the following. Within a month, schools will be closed. Almost all public gatherings will be canceled. Hundreds of millions of people around the world will be out of work. Governments will be throwing together some of the largest economic stimulus packages in history. In certain places, landlords will not be collecting rent or banks collecting mortgage payments and the homeless will be allowed to stay in hotels free of charge. Experiments will be underway, uh, underway in the direct government uh, provision of basic income. Large swaths of the world will be collaborating with various degrees of coercion and nudging on a shared project of keeping at least two meters between each other whenever possible. When you have believed what you were hearing, it's just not the size and speed of what is happening that is dizzying, it's a fact that we have grown accustomed to hearing that democracies are incapable of making big moves like this quickly. Or at all. But here we are. Any glance at history reveals that crises and disasters have continually set the stage for change. Often for the better. The global flu epidemic of 1918 helped create national health services in many European countries. The twin crisis of the Great Depression and the Second World War set the stage for the modern welfare state. But crises can also send societies down darker paths. After the terrorist attacks of September 11th, government surveillance of citizens exploded, while George W. Bush launched new wars that stretched into indefinite occupations. As I write this, the U.S. military's current attempt at reducing its uh, troop presence in Afghanistan 19 years after the invasion is being slowed by Corona's coronavirus-related complications. Another recent crisis, the 2008 financial crash, was resolved in a way that meant banks and financial institutions were restored to pre-cash normality at great public cost while government spending on public services across the world was slashed. So <clears throat> you could see how things change, uh, you know, either for the better or for the worse and you know, the first couple of examples of World War II, the epidemic uh, of 1918, which was the Spanish flu, and of course, the Great Depression. Now, a lot of good things came out of that, for the better. And then, of course, because of our so-called representative, so-called democracy, we are now back to what happened after September 11th. Okay? Now, again, changes are good, but, you know, uh, it's not always the case. Now, here you could see how the government surveillance was installed, cameras, spying. You lost, uh, Americans lost uh, some of the freedoms uh, due to the Patriot Acts. And uh, just, you know, uh, unlimited wars. Unlimited wars after September 11th. Uh, again, if we remember the, you know, weapons of mass destruction lie, uh, and how uh, Iraq is still in, uh, in distress after the war of 2003 when uh, America uh, infiltrated Iraq. It's never been the same. And again, it's just not Iraq. Uh, you know, uh, Libya is, is suffering uh, the same fate. Uh, Syria is in, in, in somewhat of a civil war. So anyways, my point is, is that uh, after these changes, 
uh, in particular, 9-11 and the financial crash of 2008, things got worse. All right. Okay, so I want to um, read this article from, excellent article, by the way. And this is out of the Colorado Sun. Okay. Christy Roybal is the uh, is the person who is responsible for this article. And she did an absolute uh, uh, phenomenal job on this, as I read it to you. Um, as uh, social distancing seemed inevitable in mid-March, my family sped through the weekly to-do list faster than usual. Two young children at home with respiratory issues and an uncertainty of how COVID-19 may affect them. We rushed to fill their medication, stocked up on the fridge, and come up with a plan to keep our toddler busy. Our rational shelves knew that life was about to change drastically, but the emotional reality had yet to sink in. It's been more than six weeks since social distancing began. Every new day feels like a blur, more so than the day before, most of the time. I don't even know what day of the week it is. I ebb from intense feelings of hopelessness to gratitude that the Colorado sun provides us opportunity to take a walk down the street. I watch my husband and toddler experience the same emotional swings. Riddled with anxiety, I can't stop the racing thoughts about how or when this will end. I try to occupy my time with photography, walks, and playtime with my kids. I try to work, in fact. I want to work desperately because my research has always been a place of my own. But none of that changes the question I think many of us have on our minds. Will things ever go back to normal? It's clear to me now that things should never go back to normal. Well, realistically, they won't anyway. Letting my psychological grip on normalcy slip away in a moral imperative. And here's why. We need each other. I won't use that trope that we need each other uh, now more than ever. Because frankly, we've always needed each other. Our fast-paced, insular lifestyles, unrelenting drive to work and accumulate wealth, and complacency with the exploitation and devaluation of members of our community have driven profound social erosion. The pandemic is only magnifying the deep injustices that characterize our country. I, for one, am part of the problem. We collectively care so little about others and so much about ourselves that we have lost all of the physical, mental, and emotional benefits of being in community with one another. Under non-pandemic circumstances, I zip from school and daycare drop-offs to my graduate student's workplace. Just getting into the car in the morning feels like a workout. I dash out of the house, huffing and puffing as I attempt to corral my toddler into his car seat. Inevitably, I've forgotten something and have to dart back inside before finally backing out of the driveway. I squeeze in some work and meetings once I get to my office, though it never feels like enough. At the end of the day, I pick up my kids. Swing by the store for the last minute ingredient I need for dinner and inch through rush hour traffic just to repeat the cycle all over again tomorrow. There may be quick hellos, how are yous, and goodbyes to neighbors, but rarely do the engagements feel deeply intentional. Life just feels too exhausting and too busy. Politeness has never been negotiable in my family. We thank those who serve us, our mail carrier, the person walking the checkout line, our children's teachers, the nurse who takes our vitals. But politeness is a surface level interaction too. It may express my appreciation for someone, 
but it does little in the way of expressing a deep understanding of, of and value for how interconnected we are in this life. Now, as I sit here reflecting on post-pandemic future, I see one, one radical different from the highly unjust capitalist status quo. That's defined our country thus far. This future will be far less individualistic. We'll actually care about each other because our health and well-being are uh, inextricably linked. In this future, we won't have to beg for hazard pay for our pandemic heroes because we already value them for being critical members of our community. I mean, a couple of things by value. In an economic sense, we'll ensure a living wage as a baseline. Better yet, we'll build the economic infrastructure so that our current low-wage workers who are disproportionately people of color and disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 have every opportunity to experience peak wellness. In a social sense, we'll value people because it's fundamentally humane to do so. Of course, we may not all agree with each other, and that's not an excuse for ignoring the significant role essentially service workers play in our lives every day, pandemic or not. In this future, the daily grind will not overshadow or nullify the connections we need with one another to survive. We've developed a highly organized, hierarchical, oppressive structure to make the wheel turn in this country. It's clear that this system only benefits a small group of people to the detriment of everyone else and some a lot more than others. In our me me mechanicistic approach to well-being or arguably illusion of well-being, we've lost a key ingredient, meaningful human connection. From mark supermarket clerks to teachers, nurses to truck drivers, we all have the same basic needs. We all need to belong and have a sense of connection with one another. This is a great article. I recommend you guys um, go to the Colorado Sun and read it yourself. Um, it, a lot of the sentiments in here uh, uh, that I absolutely echo, we've lost ourselves. You know, under these, these individual, individualistic systems that we have now in place, we've seemed to have lost ourselves and how we relate to one another. See, in this type of system, this capitalist system that is supported by a so-called representative, so-called de democratic system, it actually encourages people to keep, uh, to keep away from each other. There is no more sense of community. But, like I said, um, things will change. Now, if we take her advice, then the world will definitely be a, a more happier, more productive, and a more meaningful place. So this is something that I've been preaching. This is something that I've been pushing. But again, it's up to you. We, I, I agree. We cannot continue. We can never go back to the way it was before. We have to start a new path. We have to start a new structure, not a hierarchy. We have to start, like my friend David Frank says, from the bottom up. No more hierarchies. No more individualism. It's about supporting each other. It's about getting back to the community. Or perhaps maybe we are never part of a community. And maybe after this pandemic goes away, maybe we can start. Okay, so uh, I want to play an excellent video. And this is out of, uh, this is from the YouTube channel Scientists Warning. Okay, so it's basically 
two gentlemen that are talking about, you know, basically the end of, of, of normal and, and how things are going to be after the coronavirus. Just listen to what they're saying. It's, it's a bit of a long uh, clip. I'll try to shorten it, but uh, the, 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 the content in this video is just amazing. So let me cue this up for you guys and then I'll play it. I'm speaking today with uh, John Doyle, um, my good friend from uh, Brussels, originally from Ireland. And uh, John, I like to say that you um, you work with the EU Commission in in Brussels. You work for them for 20 years, yeah, or more. Uh -huh. You're a lifer. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but the opinions that you express and the statements that you make are your own and they don't represent official opinions of the EU. Correct. Uh, and, and in fact, it's one of the great things about the EU and the European Commission as well, that it's also primarily probably a generator of ideas. Its primary and first function is to come up with ideas, to take initiative for the benefit of European citizens, which is, you know, both a joy and a privilege and a, and, and a responsibility. But it's it's actually the thing that makes the European Union unique. I'm probably particularly lucky in that I work a lot on foresight, which gives us the chance to work you know, outside uh, outside normal strictures. But yeah, as I say, I'm, I'm I'm proud to be an employee of the European Commission. But these views and my uh, are mine. And they, they sometimes kind of get you in hot water. Of course, we're all in hot water, but. Well, it, I mean, in, in the sense that, as I said, the European Commission ceases to exist when ideas cease to bubble up. And one of my favorite bosses, uh, an eminent director general, famously told me, and this is a spirit that runs right through the commission. He said, it's always better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. Okay. Uh, and and so so that's there's a spirit of that runs through the commission, you know, a, a courageous will to take initiative because this is our duty, our obligation, our our, our right, and our uh, and our honour to be to be that part of the system that takes the initiative, which is then adopted or not by by the parliament and the member states. So, the right of initiative and and the spirit of taking initiative and thinking independently is a very core part of what the European Commission does. Great, great. It's, it's, a, it's not just simply rubber stamping things. No, no. As I say, it, it, it is a public sector organization, sound and efficient management, guardian of the treaties, all that good stuff. But it is unique, I think, in the history of all public sector organizations worldwide in, in, in having this special remit to sit down, think about stuff, mm -hmm. and come up with ideas that might ultimately be, be translated into legislation or specific actions. And that, that, that introduces a natural tension. But that, that creative tension is good. And, and uh, you know, as I say, w w one has to work within certain strictures most of the time, but one is also hugely liberated to think freely. I, I, 
we, we, we all walk a line in our work, but the Commission is a particularly good place for people who want to bring the creative and new to, uh, to apparently intractable problems. The Germans and the French going to war every 50 years for about 300 years. You know, I mean, how do you stop that? Yeah. Okay, you set something up where, where somebody comes up with generally very concrete ideas. How do we nationalize the things they keep fighting over? Mm. Nationalize is the wrong word, but how, how do we make common what yeah. they keep fighting over? Coal, steel, land. Okay, if these things were kind of in some way a shared responsibility, maybe they wouldn't fight each other all the time. So yeah. that's uh, so it's it's both idealistic and very concrete. Could you, you used one word before that you and I ha know has a special meaning, um, mm -hmm. but we, we need to elaborate on that a, a moment, or you need yep. to. You used the word foresight. Now, it's, a, yes. it's an ordinary language uh, <laughs> member of the uh, word in the English language, but it has a special meaning in the context that you used it. Please yeah. explain to us what foresight means. Well, uh, well I, I can tell you what it means to me. My good friend who runs the Foresight Network within the Commission, uh, 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 Nicholas, would probably disagree with me. But for me, it's a question of uh, having people of various expertise and various interests consider problems that are likely to emerge. Um, people, people often think that foresight is something to do with predicting I don't know what color hair robots will have in 50 years, but it's, it's really not that at all. It's, it's a question of it's a question of drawing original and unfettered intellectual uh, insights into how things are unfolding uh, uh, or could unfold or will unfold. I mean, we often uh, currently because we're doing quite a bit of work thinking obviously around our existing challenges. We, we, we often try and remove the notion of future from foresight. So I would almost call it insight. Um, it's, uh, okay, what's really happening? Um, but, you know, we, we, we know technically what's happening and we think we understand that you governments have to bail something out or, but what's really happening? Uh, so so, so that, that, that tends to be the thrust of the work. Um, and, and funnily enough, it's it's always as much a learning curve for the practitioners uh, as it is kind of an output for policymakers. Yeah. Now, in, still, let me get to the the kernel yeah. of what I I didn't Go hear for you it. say that. Okay, foresight is a group. It's a distinct group of individuals who work within the EU Commission. Perhaps in addition, some who are outside of it, but you gather together to. And you, well, nowadays you don't gather together so easily, but you work together, you think together, you communicate as a group. Yeah, correct. Uh, and and, and there, there are several. In fact, this new commission has decided to mainstream foresight into all policy making at all levels, which is really interesting. Um, foresight has tended to be. Uh, um, the, so there will be foresight activities across all the services. So whether it's dealing with research or agriculture or fisheries or strategies for transport, all, all of our commission services contain a foresight element. And, and, and those, that for, those foresight groups can work quite independently on foresight for the specific area, but then they always then meet uh, in in a in a in a network of to 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 exchange these ideas and see how foresight 
both the specific insights for their field and the broader insights that we might generate through contracts and so on and so forth might better inform the overall thrust of policy. Furthermore, both the European Parliament and the Council also conduct their own foresight activities. So it's one of the things I often quote a lady called Anne Mettler, who was part of the previous commission, um, ESPAS, which was the European kind of assemblage of, of, of foresight actors within the three institutions, um, produced this the, the report where they where they explicitly and for the first time, and, and something I mentioned when I replaced you in Geneva, explicitly and for the first time mentioned that humanity was was uh, was facing a, a, an explicit existential crisis that if we didn't turn this around in a big hurry there was a measurable and not insignificant chance that our species was going over the over over the brink now this this made quite a splash you know headline wide worldwide so yeah, as a force the, the notion of foresight is really it's almost a safe space to think um Therefore, attracts all sorts. Good. No, thank you. I wanted to clarify that because I yep. I, I hold your the group the foresight group in in great honor um, mm -hmm. for what it is. I don't think there's anything uh, comparable in the United States uh, mm -hmm. except what's private, you know, in the military yeah. or the uh, yeah. intelligence community. But you you have a public intelligence organization out there. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, public so, intelligence is a pretty good way of putting it. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Now I I asked you if you'd join me on this call, um, specifically because you sent out, um, and it was an email that I went, whoa. So this is the email that John sent me. Dear Stuart, the following struck me in the context of foresight deliberations here in Brussels. Reflection with the Inter-Director General Foresight and Climate Change Groups on the End of Normal. A. The COVID crisis crises might not, probably will not end, at least on a century's time scale. Whoa. COVID two, three, et al. will come along, forcing humans to reestablish a more normal place in the interconnected web of life, or quite possibly go extinct. This evolution is no longer even nominally under human control. Accelerating incidences of novel SARS type virus and our inability to exercise control will lead to a shrinking and more localized world. International travel will remain very risky for generations. Globalized trade in goods the same. Localization will be the emerging new normal. Again, force of circumstances and the regeneration of natural biodiverse barriers between humankind and our so-called viral enemies will occur naturally as we retreat in number and physical disbursement. Next, a new dietary regime is inevitable as the only for decades defense against our niche competitors slash parasites. Hmm. Money slash debt economic models are already clearly obsolete and will be utterly forgotten within 10 to 15 years. The new mechanism for ensuring we produce what we need and want is emerging. 
though should also provide fruitful ground for speculation for the many redundant economists who will be available for consultation, their labors in the fields being furnished to the satisfaction of their overseers. Yep, there are still, will still be rich people gaming the system. We will make no more German cars. In short, planning in Northern Europe for this summer's temperature extremes will be addressed as the loss of 20% plus of atmospheric particulate matter will drive many Northern European cities, especially into dangerous wet bulb temperature extremes. I expect this line of inquiry to be largely informed by the irresistible unfolding of events. It will certainly not be driven by ideas nor words. So I wanted uh, to discuss that today, if you would. And I spend a lot of time um, thinking about, uh, you know, obviously think, thinking about all this stuff. So um, in, in, in totally understandable fashion, um, the commission, not unlike um, your own government, is desperately trying to keep things going for the time being. Um, so, I mean, the first thing everybody does is try to put some money in the people's pockets because countless millions of jobs in, in developed economies um, are, 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 now, are now on furlough. Um, so how do people keep going? How does the economy keep going? Now, that's, I would do precisely the same thing where I in the White House or where I in government offices in Ireland or any other country, somehow you've got to keep the thing ticking over. My opinion, however, is that we keep everything ticking over just long enough for the realization to begin to set in that it never goes back. In fact, it never, it never, it never assumes any semblance of what we would have come to accept as being normal. Now, this seems obvious to somebody who, who, who works in the foresight domain. Um, so, for example, the, 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 we, we, we have loads of excellent experts around uh, you know, who are interested in the whole SARS and the emergence of, 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 of these novel strains of coronatide viruses. It is extremely unlikely that this is the last of these viruses. So even are we to entirely master it and come up with a miracle vaccine and so on and so forth, what about next year's one? What about the one after that? What about all the other ones that come? Now, this is a, this is a very powerful uh, uh, thing to have to come to terms with. There is no vaccine. There is no cure. I had never seen this coming. Uh, for me, one of the things that was in the back of my mind, well, I, I used to worry a little bit about antibacterial anti resistance and so on and so forth. But the fact that a virus could be the mechanism whereby Gaia, to use a famous term, Lovelock's term, whereby Gaia suddenly decides to right this particular ship had never crossed my mind. So think just for a moment about there never being an end of COVID or COVID two or three or four being something completely different and even more terrible. Let's imagine COVID three in four years time is something that attacks the kidneys and everyone's running around looking for dialysis machines rather than respirators. So 
you suddenly are faced with the stark reality that even if I had the best job opportunity in the world tomorrow, would I fly to New Orleans? Would I take a job in Wuhan? Would they let me go to Mexico City? So you suddenly say, the, one, of the, one, of, one of the bedrocks of our understanding of the way the globalized world works, the free movement of people, I don't see that coming back. And I effectively don't see it coming back ever. Now I say ever in terms of you know reasonable timescales, a couple of centuries or decades at least. When we have discussed previously at great length, you know, what the world needs to do to get itself off fossil fuels, there was this kind of delusion of human agency that you and I and so many other people honestly thought if we could just tell the truth so that everybody understands, everybody would do the right thing. <laughs> um, and there's the wonderful thing about COVID is the wonderful thing. It's, it's, it's a dreadful thing. I, per, I permit you that rhetoric because a lot of people yeah, are yeah, saying yeah. there's a very yeah. gleaming silver lining to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but the, the, the extraordinary thing about it is now this, this decision-making is, is taken out of our hands. So COVID still is still, let's say, in six months' time, We've, we've gotten over some sort of a peak. We're worried that there might be another one, a la the Spanish flu in 2019, 2020. Will all the people go back to the Irish bars? You know, squashed up against one another in these wonderful, happy, sweaty places, drinking pints of Guinness and listening to rebel songs. Will they? Will businessmen jump on a flight, you know, to, 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 to Wuhan to try and sell some more BMWs to the Chinese billionaires? Will that happen? What, what does this mean for world trade? And the, 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 thing that, the thing that strikes me is that this doesn't need any human intervention or any ingenuity or any plan. This is simply how it's going to unfold. People are going to find themselves restricted, localized, changed. Um, the other thing that this does then is wonderfully allow the natural systems perhaps to recover, naturally restoring those biodiverse barriers and in distinct ecosystems, which keep the whole system from being interconnected in a very sterile and we now realize hugely vulnerable way because there's no magic bullet for this. There's no magic vaccine. There's no iPhone app that gets rid of this. What has to happen is a strangely renegotiated place on this planet. I'm not entirely sure we can do it. If I was a betting man, I'd still say we won't be here in 20 years. However, given that the planet is now implementing almost word for word Greta Thunberg's um, proposals in terms of emissions reductions and so on and so forth, Maybe we have a chance. Well, that and that's a debate for, for another day. But um, yeah. no, seriously. But I want to go a little bit further down the path sure. that you, you've started uh, started yeah. us down, which is not only will things probably not go back to the way they were, cannot go back to the way they were in terms yeah. of our economic view of human reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm the, I'm famous for poking holes and saying. What we call economics is a particular brand, a particular model called neoclassical growth economics. 
we may yeah. not be able to go back to growth. We hopefully yeah. will not be able to go back to growth. So what we need, I believe, at this moment is we need people at the EU Commission and other places. I won't say Washington, D.C., because mm -hmm. we know that's mm -hmm. owned right now by a kleptocrat. Um, yeah. Um, but we need to get some kind of way of distributing goods and services and keeping people alive, albeit mm -hmm. not necessarily at a luxurious, privileged, everybody wants the great American dream kind of level, but we need- Or the great European dream. I'm pretty comfortable too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I am, well, yeah. yeah. The meme is the great American dream over here, but- Yeah, yeah I know, I know. Okay, but, but not only won't we be able to get back to that is we shouldn't even be aiming for it. So it's it's your job and my job to say, hey guys, there's another way, a la ecological yep. economics, Herman Daly, uh, Kate Raworth, um, and I am looking forward to, to viewing and publishing that their talk. As soon yeah, as it's as great, as well. that's good, that's good. Anyway, um, I, I would go a little bit further. Um, I, I would go a little bit further. I. I find myself, and I mean, we, we both also have an interest in in, in philosophies, both Eastern and 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 uh, yeah. uh, Western. But I, I suppose, in particular, what's striking about this is is almost um, it almost has a Taoist feel to it. Mm. We have clearly lost our way. Mm. Now we've known we've lost our way. Uh, it's very hard not to know you've lost your way when a 16-year-old child would be a far better person to have in charge of a country than the 74-year-old man-child for whom, strangely, I feel <laughs> nothing but pity. You know, God Almighty, he must be so sad. Anyway, but you know there's something seriously wrong with the world. It must have been the same feeling those brave centurions used to have when Nero was kind of at his worst in, in Rome. Yeah. They must have been looking around and saying, there's something wrong with this, guys. This, this can't last if this is the guy taking the decision. So, yeah. And it's not just that. We, 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 we can see our ecosystems collapsing around us. The, you know, the barrier reefs, our food systems, the, you know, the shift in the polar vortex. We, we know we're in deep, deep, deep trouble. And one of the things that I find interesting about this is it doesn't matter how much you know it. We don't seem capable of acting on it, and that's fascinating. So that's 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 kind of a, the addict's lament. Um, and what's interesting to me is, we have never really had agency, in my opinion. We uh, we, we haven't had the humility to understand our place in the universe and you know surf along and have a good time, but it's now patently obvious that we don't have agency. And curiously enough. The world seems to be putting us in a situation that says, well, here's this ingenious thing I came up with. It's going to stop you flying, growing, and globalizing. Now, if I had to come up with a plan for saving the planet, that pretty much would have been it. Now, I don't want to anthropomorphize um, <laughs> planet Earth, but wow, that, that, that gives us a fighting chance. In terms of our agency or lack thereof, mm -hmm. Yes. Our illusion that we were in control. Yes. Excellent. The way I constitute it, and it's obviously just one way of putting it, is that we've mm -hmm. had the, the, the cart before the horse for a long time, thinking that we controlled yes. money and the economy. But in yeah. fact, my thesis, which kind of mm -hmm. got me on the road to, to being mm -hmm. heard, 
uh, when I presented this in mm -hmm. at, at the climate talks in Lima in 2014. Mm -hmm. My point was that money, capital M, is a thing, a virus, a meme. It's a mm -hmm. thought form. It's not the stuff in your pocket predominantly. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's the, it's all of the the instructions by which we operate and money operates us for its own reproductive purposes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you said Absolutely. bail out, when you said yes. bail out, that's not the right yeah. term because no. what it means yeah. is that yeah. the, the nations are going to their private central banks. The central banks yep. are not part of the nation, they're private. And well, they're saying- States for sure. Yep. Um, except for maybe one or two countries. I mean, mm -hmm. your bank, mm -hmm. so yeah. they're going to their banks and saying, we got to print more money. We got to try to get jumpstart this, this mm -hmm. engine again. And that means put more money out there, put more. And then we know human yeah. frailties, what they are. Mm -hmm. Most of the money will go into corporate CEO uh, pay um, and very little of it will trickle down and they'll give a check to, you know, a little bit of money. So everybody feels like, oh, they've gotten something out of this $2 trillion bailout in the United States. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's, look, it's money reproducing itself across humanity. Mm -hmm. And money only has the program of consuming resources to make more money. Money doesn't think, but it uses our thinking capacity. Mm -hmm. But money is, is, is in control. And this is the... Well, it's, I, 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 think, I think one of the... All right, guys, so <clears throat> I'm not going to play the entire video. There's probably maybe a couple of minutes uh, left on that video. All right, so <clears throat> I I don't know who these, these gentlemen are. And one guy, the guy on the left, was from the EU, which uh, was a failed institution since day one, since it was implemented. Um, but to be fair, all political systems around the world are failures. I mean, the only closest thing which I've mentioned many times before is the system of, uh, of Switzerland where they have a direct democratic system for the most part. But I will say in this video, these two gentlemen bring up some excellent points of how we need to move forward and how these systems have failed us, you know, has failed humanity. Um, so again, moving forward, it, it, things will never be the same. Things will never be the same after this pandemic uh, is done or if it's ever done. And again, uh, our way of thinking as we see it, you know, in terms of, uh, of, a, of a capitalist society where growth is paramount and profits are the bottom line, those things are going to be gone. I mean, if we want to save humanity, if we want to save this planet, we are forced to think differently. We are forced to think more greener. We are forced to think of, about sustainability. And again, reading back to that, that fantastic article out of the Colorado Sun, we have to get back to community. Our lives have to have purpose, real purpose. Not, uh, you know, not running on the, uh, on the hamster wheel or being part of the rat race. It doesn't, it doesn't work any longer. And we will see this change in the next five to ten years, depending. Uh, again, if depending how people, uh, you know, how people respond to this change, if their conscience 
if their way of thinking is changing, then you know that positive change will come sooner. Now, there's plenty of great ideas out there, like the resource-based economy. You know, um, maybe a transitional phase, a transitional um, movement in in you know in the form of copiosis, which can bring us to our current system over to a resource-based economy. It's sort of the the gap, the bridge that brings us to both. Um, systems I don't know I mean that's uh, again that's left up to us but we have to start organizing now if we want this change to be as painless as possible um, again we could uh, we can we can institute a living income everybody gets a check regardless over over the age of 18 of two to three thousand dollars just so that we can get people continuing to work as if everything was normal, but then slowly transition over to maybe perhaps maybe a more resource-based economy. But we need some sort of system that's gonna sustain uh, not only humanity, but the planet. So guys, uh, thank you for watching. Um, again, our, our channel, the name has been changed to The Storm Is Coming to reflect the Facebook page that we uh, do our live broadcasting feeds on. Uh, again, please, uh, I invite you to go to our channel, subscribe, um, share our, our content, hit the notification bell for any new videos that come out. Uh, and more importantly, we definitely have to unite. So I want to thank everybody for watching. And until next time, take care.